Hey, well, good morning, Hope. Uh, my name is Pastor Andy, one of the pastors here at Lutheran Church of Hope, men's ministry uh, director uh, as well here at our West Des Moines campus. And uh, excited to be here today to be able to share God's word with you. Excited to have you here as well as we uh, continue our life together as a church. In fact, do me a favor this morning. I can tell we got a little waking up to do in the room. Turn the person next to you, wake them up if you have to already this morning and say, man, I'm glad you're here. Give them a wake-up call this morning. Whatever campus you're at, uh, whether you're watching uh, at our Des Moines campus downtown, whether you're at Waukee, or uh, whether you're at our Grimes campus this morning, I want to say a special welcome to all of you uh, that are joining us here. Uh, because we are. We're excited that you're here. And we're excited because we're continuing our story today. Uh, we're continuing the next leg of the journey uh, in our sermon series here. And it's called, uh, Which Way to the Promised Land? Now, the promised land, you might be asking yourself, what is that? If, if you're new today, we're so glad that you're here. Let me bring you up to speed. The promised land, uh, it's a land that has been promised. There you go. See what God did there? Uh, got pretty clever with it. Uh, but who promised? God prom promised to Abraham. Uh, even in the midst of his struggle to have children and to carry on his family line, uh, that someday, someday that he would be the father of a great nation, that his descendants would have a legacy, that they would, they would do something in the world, that they were, their lives would mean something, that they would live out the calling and the destiny that God has, has created them to live. And, and this journey, uh, the idea is that they would end up in this promised land, this space where they have everything that they need where life would be incredible, that their enemies would be far away from them. Uh, and doesn't that sound like a, a journey that we're on still today? And, and that is the reality. That's why we're stepping into this sermon series, because even here today, uh, the Israelites may have made it to a version of the promised land uh, in, in the Old Testament, but we still are on this journey today to figure out what our promised land is. Where is it that God is taking us? What is it he wants us to accomplish? What is it that our legacy will be? And how on earth do we get there, right, with all the challenges that we face? And so we're taking our next step into it. And you just saw uh, where they had come from uh, as they, the Israel had been a slaves in Egypt for uh, centuries. They just uh, were freed as God uh, uh, brought plague after plague, catastrophe after catastrophe upon uh, the Egyptians until their grip on this nation that they've held captive would finally be loosened to the point where they would be able to escape. And even when they thought they were about to get out of town, right, they thought they were free and clear, the Egyptian army came again. And so that's where we get the parting of the Red Sea. God made a way when nobody else saw a way to be able to move forward because that's who God is. And because that's what God does. And so the clip that I just showed you there is, is the ending of that Red Sea. Uh, the, Israel, or the, the Egyptian army has been swallowed up by the water. And so now you see the Israelites, right? They're doing their best impression of Braveheart. Freedom, right? They're celebrating because they've been given this incredible gift of freedom. They've also been given this other incredible gift, and it's a leader. His name is Moses, and he's the last guy. Honestly, I can relate to Moses a lot. I was just telling somebody before the service, if you told me, I'm a farm kid from small town Iowa, if you would have told me 10 years ago I'd be standing on a stage talking to a dozen people, I would have thought you were crazy, right? But, but here I am today, and this is the God's work in my life, and, and I believe God has a plan and a destiny for all of us to do something probably we never even saw coming to make a difference, right, to impact others in this world. And Moses is no exception. God has called him from a burning bush as he's wandering through the wilderness one day. God used the burning bush to get his attention, to draw him into this larger story. And now here he is leading hundreds of thousands of people through a journey in the wilderness. 
Never thought he'd be doing it, but here he is. And what a journey it has been. They've been through so much together. You hear him reminding the people of that. But now the real work is going to begin. You see, they're in the middle of the desert. And there are going to be challenges that come with that. And so as they're setting out, though, I think it's really important to note that things with Israel are actually going pretty good. In fact, in the scriptures, in Exodus chapter 14, this is what it says. It says, when the people of Israel saw the mighty power, everybody say power. They saw God's power at work in their lives as, as we are prone to do from time to time, right? As they saw uh, the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians. It says that they were filled with awe, right? Not just the, oh, isn't that cute? They're like, whoa. This is our God, they say. They're filled with awe before him. They're in the presence of God and they're changed in a moment. They're filled with awe before him. And so the result is this, that they put their faith in the Lord and his servant Moses. And so they, they are good. They've got their bags packed. They're ready to go. They just saw this incredible miracle in front of them. There was this whole army trying to destroy them, and that army is gone. It's been evaporated. And so now they're turning, and they're looking at this wilderness that's out in front of them, and they're about to begin on the journey. And that's what Moses wants them to know. The promised land is in front of us. Let's go find it. But as you'll soon discover as this journey unfolds, as you look at this, right, this is no easy journey. It's no easy journey for the people. It certainly is no easy journey for Moses. As Moses begins, it just begins to seem like battle after battle, issue after issue, challenge after challenge is thrown at him. And it gets a little frustrating. I mean, in the very beginning, the people are thirsty. They're in the desert. Of course, they're going to be thirsty, right? And so God makes a way. I mean, Moses goes to God and God provides the water. It's bitter and he makes it sweet for them using a stick. Apparently, that's an old school method for water purification. So if, if you can't figure it out, if your water tastes funny, just throw some wood in it. Apparently, that's biblical. So go ahead and try that at home. Uh, let me know how that works, right? So they've got this challenge. And then, and then just a couple of verses later, they've got another challenge. It's, it's like the Israelites as they're on this journey. They're shocked at the fact that the all-you-can-eat buffet wasn't on wheels when it was in Egypt, right? They didn't pull that through the Red Sea with them. They're starving. They're in the middle of the desert, and they're starving to figure out their food. And so they come to Moses this time again, uh, just quickly after the last issue. But this time, they're not just coming at him, you know, and, and letting him know what's going on. I mean, they are whiny. Whiny. Listen to this, right? They say in, in chapter 16, if only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned to Moses. There we sat around with pots filled with meat, and we ate all, I mean, it was like, it was like Panera on steroids. We ate all of the bread that we wanted, right? It was amazing, Moses. Then they say, but you, Moses, you have brought us out here to die. Thank you very much, Moses, right? I mean, who are these people? But Moses, being the leader that he is, who's seen the things that he has seen, He's willing to trust God a little bit more. And so Moses does what he's going to do again and again and again in Exodus. He goes to God, and it turns out that God provides. This is where we get the story of the manna. God provides bread. Uh, we get the story of the quail. He provides food. He provides meat for them to eat as well. And he even gives them some circumstances around it to make sure that they're trusting him because that's what God's after is not just our behavior, but our hearts. 
And as he's doing that, uh, they continue to trip over themselves again and again and again. And eventually they come back to Moses again a second time because wouldn't you know it, again, walking through the desert, they get thirsty again. Right? With the Israelites, it's always again, again, again. They're doing things over and over again. And so they come to Moses. Moses goes to God this time, but this time he's had it. This time he says, what am I going to do with these people? You ever had a moment like that where you're surrounded by people? Maybe some of you sitting here today, you're like, I feel like that about the people I'm sitting next to right now. (laughs) Don't turn to the person next to you and tell them it was you I was thinking of, okay? No, no. What am I going to do with these people? And have you ever had a moment where you felt like that, right? And I have a mentor that gave me this phrase. He'd say, fill in the blank with whatever you want and then finish the sentence. So fill in the blank is easy, comma, it's just the people that make it hard, right? Life is easy. It's just the people that make it hard. There is a reality about us that makes things challenging. You can fill in anything you want in that blank because it's easy, Life is easy, actually. It's just the people that seem to make it incredibly hard. Usually life is easy, right? And one of these areas for me, the blank that I would love to fill in is parenting. Parenting is easy. It's just the little people that make it hard. (laughs) Can I get an amen? Amen. Right? And I'm not saying my life is exactly like Moses. I'm not saying that at all. Uh, In fact, Moses did way more than I would ever believe. I'm sure I would have chickened out a long time ago, right? But I'm sitting there this week and I am trying to teach my kids responsibility. We're going to do, we're going to give these kids some chores. And I have an eight-year-old at home that could use a little less than that. Now, when I was eight growing up on a farm, my dad handed me the keys to the tractor that had a mower on the back. And he basically said, don't die, go out there and mow, mow that pasture. All right. Don't die. Call me if you get hurt or whatever. Right. And so I'm like, well, the least my eight-year-old son can do is take out the garbage. The garbage. I mean, I put the can out on the curb for crying out loud. All he's got to do is get this one bag of trash from his garbage can, by the way. I feel like he should be able to take this out. And you just got to walk it about 25 feet out to the end of the curb, put it in the bin. We're going to leave for soccer in 30 minutes. So get your uniform on. It'll be awesome. I'll even pack a snack because I'm on it as a dad today. Then we're going to go. So my son, Callan, he heads out with the garbage bag in hand. I see the door close behind him. I'm working on getting ready to leave. About 20 minutes later, it occurs to me, I have not seen Callan in quite a while. I have not seen Callan. I have not seen his soccer uniform. Certainly he's not wearing it right now uh, because I don't know where he is. And so I walk out there and I look at the driveway and to my horror, the garbage bag hasn't even made it in the bin. He dropped it in the middle because I'm pretty sure he saw a squirrel or something and went off in some other direction. He's eight, I understand. Maybe we got to work up to the garbage. I don't know. But as we're going through this, I'm like, okay, it's 10 minutes until I need to pick up one of our neighbors to go. And it's not going to look good for me to show up and pick up somebody else's, right? It doesn't communicate trust to my neighbors when I show up to pick up your kid if I can't even find my own kid, right? (laughs) And so I'm like, where is he? And because there's like a dozen people in my neighborhood that go to Hope, I'm like, okay, stay cool, stay calm. It's okay. They know you're a pastor. Keep it all under control. And so I'm driving around. And I'm not kidding, everyone. One minute before I was supposed to show up in my neighbor's house, here comes Callan. Like not a care in the world. And I just politely, of course, right, drove right up next to him. I rolled down the window. What were you thinking, Callan? What am I going to do with you? Where have you been? What is it with these people, right? And we've all been there. Half the time, we've been the person that somebody else is saying, what am I going to do with this person, right? 
Turn to the person next to you and say, that's totally you. You've been that person, okay? <laughs> but this is what it's been like for Moses. This is what it's been like for Moses leading the Israelites. And we're only a couple chapters into freedom here, and it's already been a roller coaster. It seems like he's facing battle after battle after battle. And for us here today, we're facing battle after battle after battle as well. And some of you, it's as easy right now for you. And God, God bless you. I'm so happy for you. For some of you, the battle you're up against is getting your inbox cleaned out, right? It's finding your kid to be able to get to soccer practice. Some of you in this room, and I see this every day as a pastor around here, the stories that I hear, they just, they break my heart. Some of you are in the hardest battle you've ever been in. And you are just trying to figure out how to make it through the rest of the day, right? We do funerals around here all the time. And they're never easy, never easy because it wasn't supposed to be like this. Some of us, we're, we're fighting for the people around us against depression, right? This little thing called cancer decided to show up in our lives. Whatever it is, every single one of us today, there's something that's it's at least at, at, its, at its best is just stressing you out. It's worst is threatening to take you out. We fight battles all the time. In fact, for Moses and for you and I today, the battle rages on. And so we, we come to these moments of the battles and we say, God, show us a way. What does this look like? How do we go? Because the battles never seem to let up. In fact, for Moses, they don't let up at all. In fact, he's going to find in just another chapter here, in just another few verses, he's going to find himself caught up in another battle. As if the people that he's trying to lead weren't enough, now the nations around him are going to begin to come after Israel as well. They see that they're out in the middle of the desert and they're vulnerable and the nations around them are thinking, now is our chance. Let's wipe these people out while we can. And even in this battle, God does what he always does. He shows up when we least expect it in the ways that we never saw coming. God shows up in the middle of the battle and provides, and that's exactly what happens to Moses. God says to Moses, grab your staff. Remember that one that you used to clear the Red Sea? You might want to hang on to that thing. He says, hold that up with both arms above the battle. And as long as you keep that thing in the air, you are Joshua and your army, they're going to win. It doesn't happen instantly. And these battles that we fight, they, we don't win them instantly either, often. Sometimes miracles happen in really awesome ways. Other times miracles happen over the long haul. But Moses hangs his hands in the air with this staff and he does, his people do win the battle, but it isn't just Moses that makes it happen. This time, the only reason that Moses is able to do it is because when his arms get tired halfway through the day from holding him up in the air, he's got people around him that are going to hold his hands up. Aaron and her have followed him up the hill to help him. They get him a seat and they hold his hands so that Israel can win. They've won this battle, but the next battle, the final battle that I want to talk about that Moses has to fight today emerges. And it's a battle that most of us struggle with as well. It's beginning to show up, right? As, as Moses is beginning to realize he doesn't have what it takes to win this battle on his own. He can hold his hands up for a while, right? But he can't do everything. You and I, we can do a lot, but we can't do everything. And so eventually Moses is going to have to come to terms, and God knows this, Moses is going to have to come to terms with the battle he has to fight with himself. It's not just his people. It's not just the nations around him. But we have battles these days that we're fighting 
with ourselves. And it's important to remember Ephesians chapter 6, we talk about these battles. They're not against flesh and blood. Not against flesh and blood, but something much greater, spiritual powers, forces, these kinds of things. And so God sees Moses with this battle that's coming at him against himself now. And God does, again, what he's been doing this entire story in Exodus. He provides and he shows up. He helps them win the battle, but he doesn't just do it directly himself now. He does it through other people. God provides for people, for us, through the people around us, including apparently our father-in-laws. Right? And I love my father-in-law. We have a great time together. In fact, he's going to watch online at 11 o'clock, so I'll have to give him a shout-out because he's an awesome guy. And, and maybe this is true for you. Maybe the family that you've been around, it's been part of the source of the struggle. And there, there are battles you're fighting with them. And so it looks different for all of us. But for Moses, it's his father-in-law, Jethro. And as we come to Me uh, Moses in Exodus 18, it turns out that he's busy. Can we relate to that? In fact, he's so busy hearing all these court cases for all these people, I'm pretty sure... Uh, the author of this text took the, the time to indicate that Moses sent his wife and his kids off to the grandparents' house, right? Off to uh, his wife's parents' house, Jethro's house, because he's overwhelmed with the work that God has given him to do, this, this burden that he's gotten to carry. He hasn't figured out how to let other people help him, how to let other people in. And so as he's fighting this battle, Jethro comes and Jethro provides for him. God uses Jethro to provide for him. At first, he just shows up and listens. He's come partly because he wants to hear all the stories. Can you imagine listening to Moses talk about the Red Sea and what happened? I mean, I'm, I'm sure you would have had to ask him to stop talking because it would have gone on and on. There's so many details, like just shock, incredible awe that they were filled with, right? And so they spend some time telling the stories, but eventually Moses goes to work with him. He, he follows him around, spends time with him, and, and Jethro sees Moses as he's working, and, and he begins to notice something. And here's where the provision comes. He loves Moses enough not to fix him, not to start the sentence with you, you should, right? Just a word of reminder to everybody, don't let people should all over you, okay? Don't let people fix you. Don't let people talk to you in starting the sentence with you, at least not the first sentence of the conversation. No, Moses meets Jethro, and Jethro shows up with questions. He says, what, what are you hoping to accomplish here? Why are you trying to do all of this on your own? Well, everyone stands around morning till evening. He's, he's warming him up. He's helping him create discovery, right? He's helping him to understand for himself, oh man, maybe there is a problem here. And maybe Jethro is here because he's had enough of his grandkids ruining his house, right? And so he's like, I need to bring the grandkids back because something is not going right with Moses. And so he comes back and he has this conversation. Eventually it comes to the point where he just, he just needs to, tear, to share the hard truth with him. He just looks at him and he says, this is not good. What you are doing is not good for you. It's not good for you. It's not good for your family. It's not good for the nation of Israel. It's not good for anybody what you're doing. You're going to wear yourself out. And so as we just heard beautifully read, he, he gives him some instructions, some wisdom, right? And basically it all boils down to this. Get some help. You need help. You, you can do so many things, but you can't do everything. Moses, how many of us need to hear that today? That's for me as well. And so God uses Jethro to show up and deliver Moses 
the truth. And yes, it stings in the moment, but at the end of the day, it's good. And what we know here then is that it is good. And that Moses felt loved in this moment because the very next verse, verse 24, Moses listened to his father-in-law's advice and he followed his suggestions. God shows up in the form of somebody who cares about Moses, gently offers some ideas and some things to think about, and Moses puts it into practice. This is the way that God provides for Moses in this battle he's facing with himself. Two questions for you today as you walk out of here into this world, as you listen to the rest of the sermon and, and then walk out and head out into your life. What battles are you fighting? What is it that you're up against? What is it that already has you nervous about tomorrow morning when you walk into the office? What is it that you don't even want to go home to address? Maybe it's sitting in your inbox. Maybe it's a phone call that you have to make. What is the battle that you're fighting? Maybe it's a doctor's appointment coming up. You're not excited about it at all. What is the battle that you are fighting? But more importantly, who's on your team? Who has got your back? If Israel is going to move forward, Moses needs to understand this. It has to become incredibly clear, and we have to have an answer to the question in order to be the, the people that God has created us to be, to experience the promised land that God wants to give us. We have to know the answer to this question. Who has your back? Who are the people that love you enough to tell you when you've got something in your teeth, right? That's where it begins. Who are the people in your life that will tell you, man, you really ought to trim that beard because it's getting a little gnarly, Andy. Not that anybody has said that to me recently. If you're thinking it, just keep it to yourself. That's fine. I know, it, I know you love me. It's fine. But who are the people that love you enough to hurt your feelings when it's the right thing to do? Who are the people you call when things get scary? This question can be really hard to answer, especially for us as men. I came across a study recently uh, this week that was talking about uh, the point in our lives when we begin to self-censor, when we begin to disconnect from other people, when we begin to just put out a version of ourselves rather than our whole selves, right? Where, we, where do we begin to use the filter as we present ourselves to the world? And what shocked me, it, it kind of made sense for the girls. Girls are somewhere age 10 or 11. But what shocked me, little boys, age five, Age five is when young men and boys begin to feel insecure enough about who they are based on the messages that our culture is giving them that they can't be themselves where they are, right? And we've all been in that moment as a parent. Stop crying. Why are you, why are you doing this? Buck up, little camper, whatever it is. There are challenges that come with this, and this can be an incredibly hard question to answer because we live in a culture that doesn't give us a lot of room to do this as human beings, first and foremost, but also as men. It's not the easiest question. So think about it for a second. In fact, I want you to walk out of here today with the answer of somebody on that list. And if you don't, if you don't know who that person is yet, then start praying about it. It's okay. All of us wrestle with this, and we go through different seasons, and sometimes we lose friends. They move away. Things change, whatever it is. And so this is a question we have to ask every once in a while. Even in uh, some of the best parts of our life, we can still get disconnected from people because you never know when the battle is going to come to you. The disconnected life is great until life happens. And life happened for my wife and I when our firstborn was about two years old. Uh, we, I was in a seminary class up in St. Paul, Minnesota, and I was studying traditional Lutheran worship. Yeah, you all loved it as much as I did. It was great, right? It was riveting. Traditional Lutheran worship. And I get this phone call from my wife, and she's like, hey, I know you're in a seminary class. I just want to let you know, I would really love it for you to come home now. 
And I'm like, hey, I know, I don't like this class, but I paid all this money. No, 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 I would really like for you to come home now. And, and I was like, why? What's going on? You know, I didn't think to ask the question, right? It was like, what do you need, right? And she says, well, remember how I'm uh, 8.9 months pregnant? Yes, I remember that. We talked a lot about, should I even go to this class? Do you remember how we have a two-year-old at home? Yes, I remember that. I had to be sad as I left her to drive up to this class. Well, your two-year-old, and notice it was my two-year-old, not her two-year-old, just ate a bunch of mushrooms in the front yard, and I called poison control. She's got them all over her mouth. Poison control says, well, you better play it safe. We're headed to the ER. You need to come home now. Would you be willing to do that? And I was like, no, honey, I'm not going to. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> come on. No, I said, I'm on my way. But it didn't hit me until I was running, of course, right at the speed limit out of southbound on I-35, coming out of Minneapolis. I realized... I've got to call somebody. And we've all had these moments in our life where we have to answer that question. Who is it that we... We'll be forced to answer that question one way or another. Who's got our back? The question is, who will it be? Everything was fine. In fact, God provided for us in that moment. A woman named Carol, one of my mentors, uh, wasn't able to make it, but his wife was. And she was the person God wanted to have there. Number one, because she came in and gave my wife the biggest hug. I was still two hours away. But my wife had everything she needed. God provided for her. I mean, Carol was a pro. She showed up and she distracted my daughter when the nurses were in the room. She uh, gave my wife a hug and handed her Kleenex to help her through it, right? I mean, she was emotional and helped her calm down and do all these things. But Carol was a pro because not only did she do all that other stuff, she showed up with snacks, right? Everybody's got to eat. But what really got me is she brought her camera, she remembered to bring her camera because she wanted to get a picture of this because as a mom further down the road than me and my wife, she knew there's going to be a day when you're going to laugh about this. There's going to be a day when you might even use it in a sermon illustration. I don't have the picture today. <laughs> but we do have pictures because Carol understood the bigger picture of what was going on. Everything's going to be okay, and we want to help you celebrate this. She was the one God sent to have our back. Who do you have in your life to do this. All this points to this bigger reality that we were never meant, you and I, that we were never intended to live this life on our own, right? Life is a team sport. You can look at even the way the business works. No, none of the top 100 companies these days have ever been able to do everything they need to do. They were never started by just one person, right? We are better together. You were never meant to live this life alone. In fact, this is all over the scriptures. Uh, it shows up in Genesis chapter 1 in the very beginning uh, when God in his, reveals his own DNA to us, right? God said, let us make human beings in our image. God himself is community. It's not just in God's DNA. It's in our DNA as well. Genesis chapter 2, as God is creating Adam, he says, it's not good. It's not good for the man to be alone. It's not good for Eve to be alone either. Solomon, one of the wisest leaders that ever lived, who knew everything, right? Knew all the wisdom, had God's spiritual blessing upon him. Two people are better off, he writes, than one. For they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out for help. Someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Jesus, Jesus even modeled this for us. He appointed 12 disciples, called them. Why? So that they could accompany him. Because he knew that someday he's going to have to go to a cross, he was going to leave us behind. Yes, he would send us the Holy Spirit, but he needed people on the ground. That's you and I. Jesus invited people into relationship. Paul understood this as well. First Corinthians, he says, we're all together uh, the parts of the body. Just like your human body has many parts, so it is with the body of Christ. Each part needs each other. 
But what really got me this week, thinking about the battles that you and I are up against, is this next verse. As, as Paul is laying out in Ephesians, the, the armor of the faith, the toolbox that you have to live this life. He doesn't forget the, the shield of faith. Why? To stop the fiery arrows of the devil. As you venture through this life, as you find yourself with all these battles you're facing, you will be attacked. And so you need a shield. But what really got me, what really showed me that we are better together was this picture. The picture, this is, this is the way the Romans used their shields. It's one thing they understood to have the shield of faith around you yourself. But you know what's better than one shield? 25 shields together. This is called the tortoise formation. And this was deadly to anybody who went up against the Roman Empire because you couldn't penetrate it. Normally, they would shoot arrows over the top and try and reduce the forces so then the ground forces would have a better shot. But when they protected themselves on every side, worked together as a team to put the shield around themselves, these attacks of the enemy, right, these battles that they were facing, they were a lot less threatening. And so what Paul is trying to say in Ephesians 6 is that you need the people around you. I mean, this is, this is throughout Scripture. Why are you trying to do life on your own? We're better together is the idea. I think God wanted Jethro to communicate that to Moses, and he wants us to pick that up here today. If this is the truth, though, if it's all over the Scriptures, then you're probably asking, why, why is this so hard? And I would argue it goes all the way back to the beginning. Not Genesis 1, not Genesis 2, but Genesis chapter 3. Yes, we are better together, but in the Garden of Eden, we lost something. In the garden, things were great. If, if you've read the text, you understand this. We had everything we need. God created the earth, the seas, the stars, and the sky. And he said, it's all good. He creates uh, humankind. And he says, it's very good. And later on in Genesis 2, it's going to say that as man, man and wife were created, they were both naked and they felt no shame. Right? Now, you're teaching this confirmation class. Everybody would snicker right now because I just talked about naked people in the Bible. Right? But metaphorically speaking, emotionally speaking, I want you to think about what this means for what we're talking about today and with community, right? What would it look like for you and I to live in a world where we can be ourselves, where we don't have to cover up anything? We don't have to withhold anything where we can be, uh, metaphorically speaking, naked and unashamed with the people around us, where people can experience the full weight of who we are, the gifts that God has created us, our talents, our ambitions, our passions, our are things that make us us. What would that look like? Well, it's all been handed to us in the garden, but wouldn't you know Genesis chapter 3 happens. Adam and Eve, they fall into sin, and it says in 3 verse 7, at that moment their eyes were opened. Suddenly they felt shame at their nakedness. And so they responded. They, they took action. They sewed fig leaves, it says, together, fig leaves, to cover themselves. You see, they were embarrassed about who they were. They were naked, and they felt incredible shame. They were given this awareness, unfortunately, that we have too, and so they hid. This is what happens every day in our lives. You and I as human beings, we hide. We cover ourselves with fig leaves. And it began with Adam and Eve, but we've been doing it ever since. And so rarely do we allow ourselves, right? Remember what I said again about the little girls and little boys. We begin to sow fig leaves on at a very young age. We don't tell people fully what we're thinking. We don't 
bear our scars, our wounds, our insecurities, our doubts in front of people because we don't want to let people in. But the reality is, this is what God is inviting us to. It's to get back to the garden. It's to get back to what he gave us when he created us and we experience with joy in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. God wants to give you back to this. And we've, but we continue to cover ourselves up with fig leaves. And, and what it's doing is it's killing us. It's dividing us. It's, it's keeping us from getting to the promised land that God has created for us, that he wants to give us. And Brene Brown is a researcher. She's a social scientist that's thought a lot about these things, studied a lot of this. And, and I was reading an interview with her this week, and she said some pretty profound things, way better than I could say this here this morning. So this is what she said. She said, we've sorted ourselves into factions based on politics and ideology. Does that sound familiar? We've turned away from one another towards blame and rage. Blame is just the way she says in, in a book of hers that I've read it's a way for us to discharge the pain, to get rid of the pain. We, we blame other people because it's easier. We're lonely, we're untethered, and we're scared. Any answer to the question, how did we get here, is surely, is certain to be complex. But she goes on to say, but if I had to identify one core variable that, that leads us down this path, right, that divides us into factions, while at the same time separates us and cuts us off from connection, my answer would be fear. Fear of vulnerability, fear of getting hurt, fear of the pain of disconnection. The way that I would say it, biblically speaking, fear of getting naked. Emotionally so, showing people our scars, allowing people to really know the imperfect version of who we are. Because we don't trust. We don't trust them. We, half the time, we don't trust God with this. If you only knew, God, who I really am, right? Newsflash, he does. He does and he still loves you anyway. He loves you more than you could ever understand. This is killing us. It's, we're more isolated than we've ever been, and we've been given more pacifiers than we ever have, right? Think about our smartphone, why we love social media, because we get a little bit of that connection, but it's never going to be enough. It's never enough to get us through the battles that we're about to face. Sometimes we go find the battles, sometimes the battles find us. So what do we do about this? If this is why it's so hard, well, then what do we do about this? Brene Brown goes on to give us an incredible uh, description of this, I think, as well. True belonging is not passive. Now, you don't just sit there and say, okay, I want to be connected to you now. You have to do something. True belonging is not passive. It's not the belonging that comes with, and I want to say this very carefully, just joining a group. My wife pointed out last night, you just told everybody not to join a group, and then you turned around at the end of the sermon, and you said, everybody needs to get in a group or find a buddy and go out to coffee. Like, you, you contradicted yourself. And that's why this word just is incredibly important up here. It's not just about getting in the room with people. It's not just about ordering a cup of coffee and sitting across the table from somebody and still letting your fig leaves be there. It's about when it's right, when you're ready, when you believe that God has provided this person for you to help you win the battle— to begin to be honest and to be vulnerable. She goes on to say it's not fitting in or pretending or selling out because it's safer. It's a practice that requires us to be vulnerable. Everybody say vulnerable. Really to unmask and to be where we are. It, she says it's about getting uncomfortable and learning how to be present with people with people without sacrificing who we are. She goes on to say, we're going to have to sign up and join. We're going to have to take a seat at the table. If you want to get to the promised land, then it's time to make a change. Moses had to. Perhaps we have to as well. We're going to have to learn how to listen. Remember how Jethro showed up? 
Not with answers, but with questions. We're going to have to learn how to listen. We're going to have to learn how to have these hard conversations. We're going to have to learn to look for joy. Sometimes it doesn't just come to you. Sometimes you have to go uncover it because it gets a little buried sometimes. But God has this way of showing up for us. He gives us the ability to share pain. I don't know if it gets any harder than that these days. But to share our pain with the people around us and to be more curious and defensive. My goodness, that seems impossible at times. But all of this while seeking moments of togetherness. Moses sitting in the middle of the desert with an issue. His father-in-law comes. He gives him advice. It doesn't just happen on its own. Moses has to take the next step, and that's the same for us. When you think about these questions, what is the battle that you're in, and who has your back? You have to work to answer those questions. And here's the less than fun part. It takes time. It takes risk. This is not an easy, it's not a safe process, but it is one that's worth pursuing. It's worth, it's a journey that's worth taking because at the end of it, you're going to get a little bit better picture of the promised land that God has for you. It's worth it. And we have countless opportunities around here, right? We have men's groups, we have women's groups, we have life groups, and they meet almost any time of day, almost any day of the week. Hear me again, it's not just about showing up to this, but it's about showing up and and being yourself, laying the fig leaves down, revealing and being vulnerable as best you can. It is a hard journey, but it's one that's worth worth taking because you never know when the battle will come to you. Some of these battles, we go to find them. Other times, the battles come to us. And that's where I want to share with you today the story of Bruce Dunn. You may recognize Bruce's face. He's around here a lot, especially on Thursday nights. He's a big part of the Celebrate Recovery family. And I've known uh, uh, Bruce for at least five, six, seven years, something like that. Uh, and he's an incredible guy. And I was talking to him this week because this, this sermon got me thinking about him and some experiences he's had. And I said, how would you sum up your story? How would you sum up uh, what it's like for you to be a part of Lutheran Church of Hope? And as he, as he answered the question, these are the words that he gave me. He said, I have found my forever family. I have found the family that's never going to leave me. And that's been through him. And some of the times when he's, he's gone off and he's gotten himself into trouble, but that's also been in the times where the trouble or the challenge or the battle has come to find him. And I was thinking about him this week because I was thinking about the men's retreat we went on last April. We did a men's retreat. We partnered with Riverside Lutheran Bible Camp and went up to Story City and hang out in the woods in a lodge with a bunch of guys from a whole bunch of churches from around central Iowa. And it was fantastic. It was great. Uh, it was going so well. And Bruce was there. A lot of other guys were having a fantastic time. I had to leave early on Saturday uh, to come back here because, you know, we still gather for worship every weekend and I had some worship responsibilities. I said, you guys will be fine. Hang out. I'll see you in the morning because we love to close all of our retreats with worship because we believe this is one of the places that we can put our own oxygen mask on so we can help the other people throughout the week, right? So I said, you got to come. We'll worship to wrap up this retreat. It'll be great together. Well, little do I know, uh, as they show up Sunday morning, they begin to tell me this story. It turns out that Bruce, as he was on a hike during free time on the Saturday afternoon of this retreat, he was walking through, and Riverside is a couple hundred acres, and he's off by himself about as far as you can get from the lodge. When he gets his text message, and the text message is from his older brother that his younger brother, who's been battling cancer for a couple years, is gone. When he's on his own, when he's by himself, he has nobody around him. That's when the battle decides to come and to find him. And so Bruce did what any of us would do when the battle gets really hard, right? We crumble. When we don't have the strength to keep going on, we haven't figured out. And Bruce is a big guy. He's, he's masculine with a capital M. 
So what would it have looked like? How strange would it have been to watch Bruce on this trail by himself as he says he began to cry and then he began to weep. He had just seen his brother a week before and they had plans to see each other next week and he just, the, the stinging pain of knowing he's never gonna get to see him face to face in this life again was more than he could bear. And so here's this grown, strong, burly man on the ground of this trail in the middle of the woods by himself when suddenly, of course, as God would have it, he begins to realize that he's not alone. And it's not only that he's not alone, but God's sending him someone to pick him back up the way that God has been doing this for Moses. It turns out the speaker of the retreat, one of the most gifted pastors that I have ever met, is walking down the trail with who? Bruce's best friend and one of his dearest friends from Celebrate Recovery. Probably the two best people in this entire group of men that could be there to build Bruce up come around and they don't say a word, but they grab him, they hug him, and the three of them had a good cry for at least a couple minutes in the middle of the woods, right? If I were there, it would have felt like probably the most awkward thing ever. But in those moments, right, this is where they were at. I mentioned that I was back here at West Des Moines and, and uh, they were coming back for worship and I was going to meet them for the service on the Sunday morning and this all took place on Saturday. Nobody thought to text me. Nobody thought to call me. And so I walk in and I'm like, hey guys, how was the retreat? And they're all like, have we got a story to tell you? And I'm like, why didn't you guys call me? And by the way, this is the epitome of what it means to be the men's pastor, the men's ministry director here at this church. They just looked at me like some of you do and they're like, I, we didn't need you. We're fine. We don't need your help. We got it all figured out. I'm fine. I totally understand that, right? And I was bothered by that actually for about two seconds. I'm like, but I should have, and then it hit me. That's the point that when we fight these battles and we ask who has got our back, that we are going to have an answer to that. And it doesn't have to be a pastor. In fact, it's better if it's the person who knows you and loves you the best, whoever that is. God provided in that day for Bruce and he wants to provide for you as well. He has always been there. He was there for Moses. He provided Jesus and he'll provide for us today. He's always been there. And so the question that I wanna leave you with here as we're gonna, at this campus, we're gonna sing to this amazing God that has always been there for us. The question is this, will you trust the God that Moses trusted with whatever battles you'll face this week. I wanna turn it over to our other campus pastors this morning. Uh, as at this campus, we're gonna worship. We're gonna answer that question. Will you, will you trust the God that Moses trusted? I wanna invite you to stand as we do that now.